Businesses of all sizes have been affected by COVID-19. In response to this, Post Media Solutions has created a five-step guide aimed to help you adapt to your business during this global crisis. To get this free guide, visit postmediasolutions.com forward slash adapt. People with immunity to COVID-19 could soon be in high demand for jobs not just in healthcare, but in retail or restaurants. But should they be given more freedoms than the rest of us? What about the idea of immunity passports? Would this be a responsible way of reopening the economy? Or is it just a dystopian nightmare? I'm Monique Baudin from the Montreal Gazette, and this is 10.3. Today, National Post health reporter Sharon Kirkey and I talk about the science and ethics of using immunity as a way out of the lockdown. You can subscribe to 10.3 on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening now. Please leave us a rating and a review and tell your friends about us. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm okay, Minik. How are you doing? I'm okay. Everything considered. (laughs) (laughs) So today, let's talk about people who are immune to COVID-19. So you wrote a story about this for The Post. And in that story, you talked about the idea of immunity passports. Could you tell us what they are and how could they be used? Immunity passports or immunity cards or certificates of immunity, they're kind of going by different names. They're essentially a form of documentation that, based on an antibody testing, says that a person is believed to be immune to the virus that causes COVID-19 because they've either recovered from an infection or they were exposed to the virus at some point in the past but they either had such mild symptoms or no symptoms that they didn't even realize they'd been infected. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's thought that you know half of people who get infected probably more really show no symptoms whatsoever. So this week, Chile became the first country to say it was pushing ahead with immunity cards. But other countries like Germany and the UK and the US are also toying with the idea as we start to emerge you know, kind of nervously from lockdowns. And the idea behind immunity cards is that people who are thought immune to the virus could help lead the economic recovery. You know, we could move those people into critical jobs first, you know, including mm-hmm. jobs like where there's lots of human contact, healthcare, retail, food service, industry. So in theory, people with an immunity passport could safely return to work. They could safely circulate in society without worrying that they're contagious or capable of sparking a new wave of infections. While, you know, the non-immunes would still have to stay largely sheltered, you know, limited contact, stay home, stay safe until there's either an infective treatment or effective vaccines or until they too get exposed and hopefully recover. So how would you get an immunity passport? Well, you would get it with an antibody test. So with COVID-19, there are two tests, right? The first test, the nasal and throat swab test, that's the test that they do to look for the virus or parts of the virus in people who are actually showing symptoms. So that's the diagnostic test. Mm -hmm. The other is the antibody test, which tests for the body's response to an infection. And antibodies are proteins that we produce in response to infection with a virus. And it takes anywhere from like three to 10 days for a person to generate antibodies and in sufficient amounts that it can be detected. So lots of companies, like 70 companies in the US and 
one dozen here in Canada, they're developing these antibody tests. And there's a company in Halifax, for example, that has this rapid antibody test that takes like three minutes start to finish to give a result. You use like a little drop of blood and it kind of works like a home pregnancy test with Hmm. a little red line with a dot shows, oh, positive, you're positive for antibodies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with these tests, a person's blood is tested to look for antibodies that shows that they've had the virus and should be, quote, immune. And there's this hope that we might one day even be able to have like spit tests, these saliva tests that could work even faster. And here in Canada, the National Microbiology Lab is trying to really work hard to validate some of these antibody tests. They're also known as serologic tests because experiences in other countries like the UK show that some of the tests actually don't work very well. Hmm. I mean, Boris Johnson called antibody tests a game changer and promptly ordered like millions from China only to discover that they were unfit for use. So... Hmm. Some tests have like a high rate of false positives, meaning, you know, the test says, oh, I see antibodies against SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. But in fact, what the test really has detected was antibodies to two other coronaviruses that cause a common cold. So, you know, the person, in fact, is not immune to COVID-19 in that case. So we need to make sure that the tests are validated before we start really pushing them out. What are some of the other risks of antibody testing? You know, it's not clear what level of antibodies or or immunity you would need to have to be considered, quote, immune to the COVID-19 virus. You know, it's not even clear which antibodies are most important. A positive test really only indicates, okay, you've been exposed to the virus, no more, no less. And there are lots of concerns, too, about, you know, a lack of you know, agreed quality standards and best practices in these labs producing these tests. But, you know, in normal times, a test isn't rolled out for widespread use until it's been carefully tested itself. You know, what's a sensitivity, for example, but these aren't normal times. And again, there's a concern that in our eagerness to push out these tests, that we could be putting out tests with really high rates of false positive or false negatives. Can I ask you about the Halifax test? Like, is it actually being used now? Yes. So this is a Halifax-based company called Medmira, and their test is now before regulators in both Canada and the U.S. And it is this rapid antibody test, and it actually tests for all of the antibodies that we produce, and they're validating it now. The idea is that this test would be more used in what we call serological surveys, where we actually randomly sample a chunk of people in a population. Mm -hmm. So in Ontario, we might randomly sample 400 people, give them this rapid antibody test and try to get a sense of what proportion of, you know, the population actually has already been exposed to the virus. And that'll be really helpful as we start to lift these social distancing measures, because we really have no real grasp on just how much immunity there already is in the population, because we haven't been doing antibody testing. I mean, there are no validated tests yet. So mm-hmm. we, we really don't know just how many people have been exposed and are sort of what are called silent recoverers. You know, they had the infection and recovered before they even knew they were infected. Do we even know, though, if people who have been infected and recovered from COVID-19 are immune? Well, I mean, that's murky too, right? The assumption is that people would have some protection against the virus, but, you know, 100% protection, not likely, 60%. You know, again, no one knows because 
this is still a four-month-old virus, right? It's so new. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how long immunity lasts because no one's been infected long enough to know. So if immunity only lasts, say, three months, six months, a year, would we need to get a new immunity card every few months? And there's also this concern about the risk of reinfection, right? So there have been these reports out of South Korea and China of people who recovered from COVID-19 who then tested positive again. So what's not clear is whether they actually got reinfected or the test just picked up sort of fragments of the virus that were still lingering in the back of their throats. You know, Mike Ryan, who's the executive director of the World Health Organization's Emergencies Program, he's the guy that's often front and center at the World Health Organization briefings. He mm -hmm. said last week, what we would expect is that there would be some reasonable period of protection, but it's really hard to say with a new virus. So what they're doing now is extrapolating from other coronaviruses like SARS, where recovered patients remained immune for like I think three years on average. But again, you know, no real clear answer whether people who recover from the COVID-19 virus have lasting immunity. Assuming that we have accurate testing, it seems to me that people with immunity to COVID-19 would have some advantages over other people in society. Could you talk about that a bit? This Australian futurist Paul Higgins had a really interesting piece recently. And he kind of looked at it this way. He said there will be a market for people who have an immunity certificate. So on the supply side, he talked about there will be increased demand for services supplied by people who are quote unquote immune. So think of immune-certified plumbers or immune-certified cleaners or immune-certified flight attendants. You know, healthcare workers with immunity certificates could be deployed to high-risk areas on the assumption, again, not entirely proven, that they can't infect their colleagues or patients. And Higgins talked about the market side. Maybe the immune will be able to get things like cheaper airline tickets. There might be specific flights for the, quote, immune passport holders, you know, pubs, Restaurants, bars might only open their doors to people with immune cards. So essentially, the appeal would be that the immune or immunes would be able to get back to some kind of more normal life, you know, get back to jobs faster, get back to society faster than the non immunes. It seems like this would encourage people to deliberately get sick or to somehow fabricate documents so that they would have some of the advantages that immunes would get. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's those are two big concerns, right? So the deliberate exposure that people desperate to get back to work because they're supporting families, their bills are mounting, you know, life's becoming completely undone, that they would try to get infected. But this isn't a harmless virus. You know, we hear all the time, 80% of infections are mild. True, that there's a 15% chance you could end up in a hospital. There's a 5% chance you could end up on a respirator. And if you are put on a respirator, you have a more than 50% chance, and it may be as high as 80% chance of never coming off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is it is a dangerous virus. And there's a study just out today that said people who die of COVID-19 lose, on average, 10 years of life. So they die 10 years sooner than they otherwise would have. And that was after the researchers took underlying conditions into account. So, you know, that's definitely a concern that people would deliberately try to expose themselves to infection. And there's also that concern we could see, you know, a very lucrative black market in fake immunity passports or, mm -hmm. you know, phony labs offering immunity tests or, or people using 
someone else's immunity certificate. There's already reports in the U.S. of companies charging 500 U.S. for tests that these companies falsely claim are FDA certified. So, yeah, I mean, it could get ugly real fast. What are some of the ethical concerns of identifying people who are immune? The biggest concerns are that it would lead to discrimination and exclusion, right? So we end up with this world of the immune versus the non-immunes. And Mm -hmm. first of all, ethical questions, who gets access to testing? Is it the famous and the rich? Would everyone get equal access to the tests? Look at how badly we rolled out testing in Ontario just to diagnose infections in people with symptoms, you know, let alone testing huge swaths of people for antibodies. Mm-hmm. And the, quote, immunes would achieve a higher social status. They get to go back to restaurants. They get to go visit their friends. They get to go back to work. They can go to the gym. They can go to the hair salon. Mm-hmm. And what if employers give preference to people with immunity cards, right? And yeah. I spoke with Ross Upshur, this bioethicist at the University of Toronto, And he's an expert in sort of the ethics of pandemics. And he said for years, you know, decades, he and others have been writing about stigma of infectious diseases. And, you know, think of when Princess Diana shook the hands or touched the hands of an AIDS patient in the late 1980s. I mean, it made headlines around the globe. Right. And, you know, Upshore worries about how things like immunity cards have, you know, similar proposals like that have worked in the past. You know, think of apartheid colonial Africa, Nazi Germany, and how they can end up being used against really already disadvantaged people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, immunity certificates sound great if you're one of the lucky ones deemed, quote, immune. You're not so lucky if you're the person who still ends up locked inside. Are there less problematic ways of using immunity? Well, some have said that, as I mentioned, the test could be used to screen healthcare workers emergency responders or people working in nursing homes and provide them some peace of mind that they're not contagious. But that has all of the same limitations we just talked about before, you know, around how much are people really immune and what kind of immune response do you have to show and how long does it last? So many people think it's not really a way out at all because it could give people a false sense of security. Before we go, can we talk a bit about herd immunity? How much does that factor into the government's plans to lift lockdowns, you know, allowing the virus to spread, but in a more controlled way? I don't know how much people are really talking about allowing the virus to spread in a controlled way. It's certainly a controversial suggestion. So, you know, as we move to lift the lockdowns, the focus will be really on aggressive, aggressive testing and watching for any emerging hotspots. So watching for signs of a steady day-after-day increase in infections and in identifying people who are infected, tracing their contacts, you know, isolating every single one of them. But without a vaccine, and everyone says a safe vaccine is probably at least a year away, mm-hmm. without a vaccine, as we lift social distancing measures and as more people circulate, inevitably there will be more exposure. You know, it's like one professor I spoke with who said, we didn't all magically develop immunity in lockdown. We've been sitting on the couch drinking beer and watching Netflix, which, <laughs> by the way, I read just gained 16 million new subscribers in the first quarter of 2020. Um, so, you know, we don't we won't come out of lockout, lockdowns magically immune to this virus. 
And given what we don't know about immunity, lots of experts have doubts about the wisdom of pursuing a herd immunity strategy. You know, herd immunity is when the virus churns through the population, infecting people until there are no longer enough susceptible people to infect. So it eventually peters itself out. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what level of herd immunity would be necessary. And we also don't even know what proportion of the population is already immune. And, you know, what if the virus mutates? So, so far, you know, it's pretty stable, but there is a possibility it could drift enough that people thought immune now are, again, no longer immune six months from now. Hmm. So I think many people believe the only real solution in the long term is a vaccine. Sharon, thank you for this. You're welcome, Nick. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Sharon Kirkey. I'm Monique Baudin. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.